0: Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode.
1: No, I'm not involved with the Sinaloa cartel. I'm not taking bribes from them, and I'm not laundering their money.
0: I have
2: received
1: an overwhelming amount of, of people coming to me saying that it's time to get rid of charter cities. It's a a very old rule that was developed over a hundred years ago in our Constitution. And it's time we start looking at our Constitution and realizing that we've grown as a state.
0: What this does is it exempts a tax on essential items for people to survive and live. Bread, eggs. Let's just
1: stop playing whack-a-mole with taxes in our cities. When we change one tax that our cities are allowed to do, you're just whacking them all. It's gonna pop up and become another tax in another place. So it's very much them being elected, wanting a certain person in charge while they're there and controlling only that person in that role and not thinking in the future, if a Democrat steps into that role, then we want them to have all power as well in the future.
0: And joining me to talk about changes potentially coming to Cochise County elections, a ban on cities' food taxes advancing in the legislature, and more, our former state school superintendent, Jaime Molera of Molera Alvarez. Good morning, Jaime. Good morning. Glad to be here. And Democratic strategist, Tony Connie. Tony, good morning to you. Hello. So let's talk first off about what seemed like a uh, pretty significant uh, trying to backtrack among a lot of Republicans in the legislature, from some comments made last week during a, a joint uh, hearing on elections and election security, and goodness knows what else about elections, um, you had both House Speaker and the Senate President basically saying this was not okay. You had Senator Wendy Rogers saying it wasn't okay. You had the uh, Representative Liz Harris who invited this particular guest saying it's not okay. I mean, what do you what do you make of all these people backtracking, trying to seemingly trying to out backtrack each other?
2: Well. I- it's one of the few times and it was, i was heartened by the fact that something as preposterous was that as that finally got called out As wait a minute time out this is even that's over the top i mean to say that all of our elected officials are being um, bribed and influenced by the sinaloa cartel is just it's silliness and so finally I, leadership had to say something because i think their credibility is was on the line if they were um gonna allow this kind of false accusations to
0: occur. What was it about, like, was it just that these accusations were like, was it something about these accusations that crossed the line that others hadn't?
2: I I think because they were implicated. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That'll do it.
2: They were were being accused of being a part of this. uh, These shenanigans that were going on. It wasn't just governor Hobbs. They were saying everybody in the legislature was doing it. Save maybe Liz Harris, but it, it just, it was silly. And they had to come out and say something. Now, Wendy Rogers did, Although it was somewhat muted, I think Speaker Toma, I think uh, Senator T.J. Shope, I think they were much more aggressive in saying, "Well, time, out. like I said, time out. This is ridiculous. Let's let's get back to the real issues. Well, somewhat real <laughs> issues,
0: but let's say that this was uh, just outside the box." Well, and Tony, interestingly from uh, Senator Wendy Rogers, from Representative Harris, a big part of their statements were this wasn't the appropriate place to bring these accusations. It wasn't so much these accusations are outlandish and ridiculous, but it's like you shouldn't bring them here. You should bring them maybe to the attorney general or some law enforcement agency.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that testimony went on for about 45 minutes before Ken Bennett hit his limit and made a point of order and stopped it. And the thing that's interesting to me about that is, you know, if you are speaking at a, an elections committee and you use the word election denial, Wendy Rogers is going to, like, shout you down and be like, you can't talk. So, like, they will stop these things. They, you know, they have the authority to do it. But they let that go on and on and on until they felt the backlash. And once they felt the backlash, I you know, they felt obligated to say something. But the same pressures that lead them to want to allow these types of people to speak, the same sort of external – you know, MAGA, Trump stuff, those pressures are still there. They're still coming. And so they're feeling, you know, so now they do this muted statement, but you're already seeing, you know, Liz Harris has an email campaign that's going to the legislature to try and protect her. And that's, you know, they're very focused on keeping that very, very small minority of loud conspiracy theorists happy. And hopefully this is a moment where the Republican leadership realizes like, hey, we just, we can't
2: do this
0: anymore. Jaime, mean, do you see this as maybe an inflection point? Well, it's interesting
2: because uh, the folks that Liz Harris has been touting, right, as some of the election deniers and part of this uh, group that's been pushing this agenda have now turned against her. They mm-hmm. said, well, she, you're you're turning your back on the cause and you're a
0: traitor to our efforts. After sh- her statement basically saying this wasn't the right, right time and place to do Right, after she distanced herself from yeah. this
2: crazy accusations. So – I'm not sure that this is a moment of clarity that's going to happen within the GOP. I I wish it were, but um, at least when something as crazy as this comes out, uh, I'm I'm heartened, like I said, that leadership said, wait a minute, we're not going to go to those as outlandish Things as this is. I I just hope they would do that with other issues as well.
1: I think though if I can say it's like it's not a huge surprise that this happened. I mean, Warren Peterson the appointed Wendy Rogers after everything that she said and everything that she's done as the chair of this powerful committee. And of course, this kind of stuff is gonna come up and she's not gonna be the type of person who's gonna stop it. That's not who she is. And so there is some responsibility that they need to take. For putting people like her in power when they had a choice
0: not to. Well, Jaime, I want to ask you about that because, as you say, both Speaker Toma and President Peterson came out fairly strongly against what was said, but they also are the ones who facilitated the hearing in the first place, right? Like, do do they bear well, any responsibility for well, that? The, the only thing we have to remember, I mean, the politics of this—you you only
2: have a one-person majority in each of the House and in the Senate, so you have to try and placate a lot of your members. And when Wendy Rogers said, that's my issue, I want on that issue, I raised a lot of money on this issue, mm-hmm. um, I want to take this on, it's hard for a president to say, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do that. So those are some of you have to accommodate it because when you have a one-vote majority, it really – Tenuous to be the leader at that point.
0: Yeah, tenuous being the key word here. So, Tony, let's uh, go to uh, another election story from this week, that in Cochise County, where the Board of Supervisors, which (laughs) has gotten some national attention over the last several months, voted to basically make the elected recorder, David Stevens, also the elections director. Basically, he will now be in control of... All facets of elections down there. He is somebody who has been described as an election skeptic and elections denier. What do you make of, of this move by the Cochise County supervisors?
1: Well, I know that there, you know, there's a history where this type of move might be legal. There's some questions about the process that they followed, but you know, the, the the how I think is an issue, but really the why is very disturbing. And the reason why they've decided to make this change is because they are. Uh, they 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 are, are are giving in to these conspiracy theories, and that's dangerous. I mean, they've they, the 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 focus on Cochise County that was brought because of the wanting to do a hand recount and a not lot of the, the, the stuff election, that yeah. happened. Not certifying the election that brought a lot of uh, national scrutiny on them, and I so I think they're seeing what what happens when the whole world when you want to be the center of election denial in the country, people are going to pay attention. But it also led to a bunch of like. Death threats and attacks and all this kind of stuff where, you know, the the, it chased away the woman that was running their elections who's regarded as one of the best in the entire country at her job. And so it's really concerning that the reason the reason why they did this. And one other thing to say about this is that is that he's also affiliated with Mark Fincham uh, with the Election Fairness Institute, which is, you know, basically a propaganda outlet for election deniers and. Mark Fincham is raising money off of all of this. And so it's a very
0: weird ethical situation too. So Jaime, as Tony alluded to, there have been issues, situations in the past where counties, Maricopa County had this kind of arrangement in the past. Is it troubling that the person who will be basically in charge of elections in this county has said he maybe doesn't trust machines, doesn't trust the process that uh, elections are run by?
2: Well, I think it's very troubling. I mean, because you have a situation in Cochise County where they're saying, we want to go to a full hand count. And and every statistical uh, analysis and every um, research study has shown, hand counts are the, probably the worst way to do it if you really want to have verification of elections. Th- they are. I mean, it, when you look at the ballots, and I tell folks, think about counting 10,000 ballots, and then it's a lot more than that, mm-hmm. but just 10,000 ballots during a general election when you have... Literally hundreds of questions. You have to count all the judges. You have to count all the propositions. Mm-hmm. You have to count everything. It's two sides of a long piece of paper. And it's, it's something that it's prone to human error. And so when you turn it over, not just to somebody that um, doesn't like the science and doesn't like things that actually can work, but you also turn it over to a partisan. And I would say this if it's a Republican or a Democrat. And you take it out of the nonpartisan sphere that really
0: should be looking at how do you count this in a way that's unbiased. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very troubling. It's also interesting, though, that Secretary of State Adrian Fontes has not come out super strongly against this. He He doesn't seem to be Super like, oh, gosh, we like this is this is terrible. Well, I I think a lot of this um, also is
2: he's a deaf politician. (laughs) And when you're you're letting when your opponents are kind of doing a good job of shooting themselves in the foot, you're letting them put the bullet back in the chamber and shoot the other foot. So I think he's he has come out and said, you know, I disagree with a lot of these things. But you're right. It's it's not as as uh, vocal as.
0: You think he might be right. And Tony, this is a temporary. Uh, the clip we heard in the in the montage, this is a temporary thing through the uh, through the end of, of next year's election. Would you anticipate that we might see, for example, hand counts in, in Cochise County in 2024? We might see some of the stuff that that David Stevens really thinks is the right way to go happen down there. Yeah, we we might. But one of the challenges that they have is that there's a Democratic
1: attorney general, a Democratic secretary of state, and they're going to hold him uh, accountable to the laws of our state. And so, you know, I they might choose to ignore those and then there's going to be a standoff and then they're going to raise money off the standoff and they're going to say this is proof that there's tyranny. But really, the, the rule of law is important. Nothing is more important than counting our votes and doing it in a way that's accurate and fair and bipartisan. and And I do think that our
0: elected officials are going to work to hold them accountable if they try to break the law. And we saw this week the attorney general weighing in on this, basically saying, if you know of a law that says you're allowed to do this, we'd sure like to hear about it. Right. Yeah. She's watching. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is Tony Connie. I'm also joined by Jaime Molera. I am Mark Brody in Phoenix in the midst of the Friday News Camp. Tony, let's start with uh, a bill that uh, actually not a bill, more of a, 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 re- a referral that uh, in the state Senate that would essentially repeal charter cities. These are cities Uh, that are able to have their voters, their residents approve uh, a charter that allows them to do things that are mostly of local control, things like elections and things like that. Um, There's a a measure in the Senate that would ask voters to basically repeal that. And uh, the sponsor, uh, Senator Justine Wadsack of Tucson, has basically said it's because of Tucson's election system.
1: Yeah, there's this... This inclination for state interference and in what's happening in local government has been going on for a long time in Arizona, but it's really hit a fever pitch in this session. Um, and, you know, essentially the charter is the constitution for a city. And in order for a charter to be updated by a city, they have to have a vote of the people. And, and, and you know, you've seen charter updates that have happened in both Phoenix and in Tempe in the past couple of years related to elections. And what the, the, the legislature is saying is, We don't really care how you want to run your elections. We don't care if you want to have a a campaign finance system that, you know, has a smaller donation limit like Tucson does and like Tempe does. We think that the state should be in control of all of this. And that's just not something that the people want. It's certainly not something that Republican mayors want, Democratic mayors want. You know, cities – people are pretty happy with their cities no matter what you hear these legislators
0: say – and this type of interference is just a waste of their time. Yeah, I mean, this is interference has been happening. I mean, go back to the Bisbee bag ban ban, which was a <laughs> real fun thing to say at the time on the radio. But, you know, this is one that the measure did not pass through the Senate. But, you know, there are some thoughts that maybe it would be tweaked a little bit to get a couple of Republicans who voted no on board. Is, is this mostly an interference issue state against cities? No, I, I personally think it's uh, Senator Justine Wadsack's
2: uh, animosity towards the city of Tucson. That's what it boils down to. Mm. She does not like the fact that the city of Tucson has at-large at voting, which tends to favor, at least in Tucson, the Democrats. And you, you eliminate the possibility of any Republican in Republican areas from having – if it were a district system, for instance, they would be able to have a higher likelihood of getting some representation. So right. I think that's what it really comes down to. And, uh, but, but, but there's a lot of collateral damage. By saying, OK, if I want to focus on Arizona, you can't just focus on a single issue or a single city. Um, you'd have to set up a threshold. And I think that the way they're going to do it is by saying now in order to uh, get the opponents of it, which were Ken Bennett uh, up in Prescott, uh, T.J. Shope and right. Casa Grande also have charter cities. Mm-hmm. They said, look, we don't want you to put our cities into this mess and mess us up. So they're going to have a threshold probably of about 500,000 population or more which would then just capture Tucson and Phoenix and maybe uh, other cities. Mesa would, maybe ma- at some maybe, point, right? Correct. Yeah.
0: So uh, Tony said that, you know, and, and we've, alluded to the fact that, you know, state versus cities is kind of a a Mm -hmm. perpetual issue at the legislature. Another one coming up is the food tax. We saw the residential rental tax uh, ban that uh, the legislature passed that Governor Hobbs vetoed. The food tax is another one that a lot of cities are saying, look, you know, this is fine. A lot of cities don't have food taxes. But for the ones that do, they say we rely on this revenue. And if you take it away, we're gonna have to slash our budgets. The, The reason
2: why I don't think this one is getting the same kind of attention is because because this is actually a bill as opposed to what Justine Watsack is doing, which is an SCR a concurrent resolution, which will go to the voters. Kitty Hobbs has no say in that. Right. If they get 16 and 31, 16 senators, 31 Republicans, the majority, then it just goes to the voters to decide. With this particular issue, the governor would have to sign it. And, and there's a lot of feeling that eh, there's no way she's going to sign it. Even the Republicans that may not like it. And may feel like it's an intrusion of their local communities and they know it would be a hardship and and their cities have gone to them and saying, look, please don't do this. They're saying, well, don't worry about it. This is not going to go anywhere anyway. So that's one of the reasons
0: why it hasn't gone to that level yet. Tony, do you have a sense – and I've not seen any polling. I don't know that any polling exists on this. If the referral about charter cities went to the ballot, do you have sort of a gut feeling about how Arizonans would, would vote on that next year? I haven't seen any polling on it, but I do know that Arizonans
1: tend to be pretty happy with their cities, and I, I have a feeling that it would be a difficult thing to pass. It's also one of those things where you have to think like where's the money going to come from in order to make it an actual election, and I could see – I don't know how much money would be spent to try – make. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I bet you that I, – I don't think that voters would be down for this or the idea that like – Hey, the legislature can do these people who we don't, you know, these people all the way in, in Phoenix are going to be able to tell us what to do. I just, I just don't think that would happen.
2: And I also find it a little bit of a, uh, an irony that the, the senator was talking about how th- this is an old and this happened, you know, in our constitution and it needs to be updated. Well, that's what a lot of liberals say right. about the U.S. Constitution <laughs> too. I was thinking <laughs> the so, exact same thing so, when I heard it. So I'm a little bit, uh, well, wait a minute, time out. That's not what conservatives usually like to say. And and I think if it were to go to the ballot, Arizonans love local control. And I think that would be a very
0: hard yeah. hurdle for the the proponents of this to get over. It seems like it would be sort of a natural argument for cities to make, which is you could say overreach. You could say, look, the the state is trying to take over what we do. Like, why are we going to let that happen? Correct. It's interesting what you said about the the age of laws, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, in the last several months, we've been talking about in in the context of an abortion ban that was passed around the time of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. But you don't really hear you hear a lot of Democrats talking about that. You don't hear a lot of uh, folks like Justine Wattsack saying, well, that law is, which is older than the <laughs> right. state constitution, saying that's a problem. It's kind of an interesting concept. That's right. Well, and, and I think you can have it both ways.
2: Conservatives, you know, you got to protect what why you believe it's you, the constitutions are important and have a higher threshold.
0: Yeah. Tony, I'm curious to get your take on what Jaime said about the, the food tax, the, the issue being that. It would have to go through Governor Hobbs. We've already seen her veto a, a bill that would get rid of uh, residential uh, rentals. Not sure what she would do. I mean, she hasn't said specifically what she'd do on the food tax, but there's at least a reason to maybe think she would veto that. Well, I think that th-
1: these are huge conversations that should be a part of the larger budget. I think mm-hmm. that's a thing that uh, that she said with with her, her veto of the of the of the the rental tax and. This, you know, the, the the tax on grocery stores, the TBT on on food, is something that um, doesn't exist in every. It's not statewide. It doesn't exist in every city. But in the cities that it does exist in, it's a it's a reliable source of income. If you're on, you know, benefits like SNAP, you're not taxed, right? So you know, so already a lot of the the people who are uh, the most vulnerable don't have to pay for it. I understand why people might want to. Uh, eliminate it. But it, it it has a huge impact on cities. And that's why you have Republican and conservative mayor saying like, hey, because they don't have the ability to do an income tax. There's a right. deal that they struck with the state, you know, that basically said we're our income is going to be coming from these types of TPT, these types of sales tax. And they need to have that kind of a reliable income. Otherwise, it's it's going to revenue. It's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to
0: impact their their public safety budgets. Tony, let's talk about some uh, internal democratic politics at mm-hmm. the state legislature. We saw a, a little bit of a shakeup in uh, Senate Democratic leadership over uh, Raquel Tehran, the, the uh, minority leader in the Senate, staying in the legislature but stepping down from a leadership position. Mitzi, Mitzi Epstein has become the uh, the new uh, minority leader. And I, I guess it's it's not much of a surprise, right, that, that Tehran would be thinking about running for Congress in what is now Ruben Gallego's seat. Seems like it's going to be a fairly... Wide primary, robust yeah. primary might be the word that people would use. And you know,
1: the senator is a really responsible person. I've 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 worked with her before, and she is being honest about the fact that she is considering this run, and she wants to be able to have somebody in leadership who can f- spend the amount of time in, in in leadership on these things. And so I I'm, I'm excited. I hope she runs. Uh, I I think it'd be great. Um, but you know, when a, a seat like this opens up, you you, you and 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 You have to consider it if you're an elected official and people are, I'm sure, asking her to run. It it doesn't come around very often. And so even if you had a plan, I'm going to do this for a couple of years and then maybe I'll seek higher office. It's just happening. It's going to be a wide open primary, um, you know, and and, and she'll continue doing her job as a senator. But uh, I I don't I don't think this is that big of a, a shakeup. I know. Some on the Republican side have tried to paint this as some sort of a Dems in disarray kind of thing. But it's just a silly
0: thing. It's just it's a leadership change. I mean, as Tony said, this is a pretty significant opportunity. It's a very reliably safe, reliable Democratic district, the kind of seat that if you win, you could theoretically stay there forever like Ed Pastor more or less did. Would you expect to see a, a pretty big field in this as well? I do.
2: I, I, and I think it's going to be a very – and every time this has happened before, when, when Ruben Gallego ran for the seat, it was contested mm-hmm. and it was a pretty hard-fought uh, campaign because you're exactly right. Um, if you get that seat, you're going to be there for a long, long time unless a uh, U.S. Senate seat opens up and then you decide <laughs> to run for that. <laughs> but, but the thing that's what surprised me a little bit with uh, Ricardo Tehran's uh, move, being the minority leader isn't a lot of power, but it's also a lot of visibility. And I'm slipping from the the policy and maybe the right thing to do. I'm just talking about raw politics here. I was surprised that you stepped down from that seat because a lot of times, because this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, why wouldn't you leverage your ability as minority leader to really start to put yourself in a better position? Um, I guarantee you, uh, Laura Pastor, who's also thinking about running, vice mayor of Phoenix, um, she's not going to step down from any position in order to gain an advantage. So that's why I was a little bit um, um, curious as to why that happened. Saying,
1: and that's like, who you, she is. I, I mean, that, every advantage she She's a serious yeah. legislator. Like she's she's not thinking about the the you know that that type of implication. You know, that's the kind of thing that a political hack like me would say. It's like, hey, you know what? You get more press if you're the minority leader. You should stick in. But but you know, I. I
2: I respect her for that type of decision. And I'm not saying I don't respect her for that. I'm just saying as a political hack, (laughs) (laughs) I think that was a little curious. And, uh, you know, you got to start thinking in those terms, as you know, in order to get that kind of advantage because you're going to need it every single opportunity in order to get – i earn media that, you know, get in front of uh, you, Mark, and be able to
0: <laughs> have that uh, audience that they can get to. And especially in a crowded primary, that becomes all the more Absolutely. important, right? Absolutely. All right. We'll have have to leave it there. That is Jaime Molera of Molera Alvarez, Democratic Strategist Tony Connie. Guys, thanks for coming in.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.